In the name of Jesus, amen. After the Pharisees rebuked Jesus for healing an uninvited sick man on the Sabbath, Jesus taught them a parable about a man who gave a great banquet and invited many. The parable continues, when they were invited, they all began to make excuses. And they would say, I bought a field, I have to go out and see it, please excuse me. And another said, I bought oxen and have to go see them, so please excuse me. And I just got married, so I can't go. Please have me excused. And then justifiably, the master gets angry. And he takes their invitation and he gives it then to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And there was still room left. And then he tells his servants to invite everyone that they can. And the parable ends with these words, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited initially shall taste my banquet. And so what is Jesus teaching us here? Two things. First, this is a parable told against the Jews and their rejection of Jesus, the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of all their ceremonies. God invited Israel to be his people, to eat uh, at the table he prepared for them in the presence of their enemies, and, and they refused his gracious invitation when they rejected Christ, and they denied his all-availing sacrifice on the cross. And in their place, God has invited the Gentiles, the poor, the weak, the crippled, the lowly, the sinful, to come and take their place at his table. And this is the first thing that we learn, that this parable is a summary of the Jews from excusing themselves uh, from God's forgiveness. And the second thing we learn is this, that those who excuse themselves from God's banquet of forgiveness will have their place taken and their invitation given to another. And this is a stern warning to us to make use of God's word while we still have it, lest it be taken away from us as well. The truth is, this isn't very nice to think about, God taking away our invitation and giving it to someone else. But you have to understand this, that he only takes away the invitation to those who make excuses not to come in the first place. This parable is about the third commandment, which our children here in church are learning. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And the way you keep the day of rest holy is by hearing the word of God, holding it sacred, and gladly hearing and learning it. So Jesus instituted the church so that you would have a place to go to hear his word. And when you make excuses not to go to church, you're in fact making excuses not to hear his word. His word that forgives you all of your sin. There's a difference between those who are physically incapable of coming to church because they can't leave their house for any reason or they can't get to church for any reason. This parable isn't about them. The parable is about those who are able to leave their house, those who are able to work grueling hours during the week, those who are able to pay hundreds of dollars to walk around theme parks and the world in the heat of the day to stand in line for two hours for a ride that's only two minutes, to find all the time in the world for their hobbies, their friends and family, and yet can't be bothered to cross the street to hear God's word for an hour. This parable is about them. It's not only about them, it's about all who use any excuse 
to get out of hearing God's word. And the problem is this, that we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of excusing ourselves from God's banquet of forgiveness. We can relate very well to the people in the parable because we too are sinners like they are. And we can relate because we're guilty of those same sins. Even though we're all guilty of this, don't kid yourself for a moment into thinking that it's a safe game to play. And don't let your children take it lightly either. See, we're guilty of being too busy for church or too busy for devotions. We think, look, God, you know me. You know I'm busy. I got so much to do. I'd really like to go to church today, but I I just don't feel like it maybe next time. We're guilty of sympathizing with our loved ones who make excuses to come to church saying, oh, yeah, I know, he's been working so hard. It's just this once. Or, yeah, I know, it's just a few Sundays here and there, but she'll be back. I, I promise you, she'll be back. Or, pastor, look, don't get so uptight about this. Stop all your talking about this because they got Jesus in their heart. They're still Christians. They're going to be okay. It's fine. Just let them be. And the harsh reality is this, that you and I have no promise from God that those who reject his word will be okay. We have no promise that they will come back to the faith. We have no promise that things will end well for them. And harsh words are spoken against those who excuse themselves from his grace. And this word today is preached to you to keep you from falling away. Today, when we consider the overwhelmingly Christian nation that we are, know that less than 20% of people are actually in church this morning. When you consider how much time and life and energy God gives to every single person, whether they believe in him or not, we find that over 80% of people in our country were too busy making excuses to give up one of their 168 hours during the week. That's 0.6% of the time that you have in a week. 0.6% of the time to receive God's forgiveness. And sadly, many who excuse themselves from God's word at one point try to seek it at another. And the harsh reality is that many times they can't find it. Left and right, those who have fallen away from the church try and return, but then they have no place to turn. In the United States alone, the wealthiest nation in the world, 4,000 churches close their doors every single year. And it doesn't happen because their communities can't afford to keep them open. It happens because they don't want to keep them open. They've devoted their time and talents and energy to other things. And after years of making excuses, they find themselves in places where the gospel is no longer preached. They're surrounded by a bunch of people, but have no pastor. They hear a bunch of words, but not a sermon. The pews are filled, but the preaching is empty. They go back to the churches that they left when they were younger, only to find that the church bells have rusted over because the faithful Christians who kept them ringing are now dead. And by the time the next generation gets their act together, it was too late. God took his gospel away. 
For those who told themselves that their faith was still strong while they worshipped their own bodies by refusing to get out of bed on Sunday mornings for so long, they will find that the word has moved on and isn't being preached in their town anymore. They'll find that the water and the font has dried up, that no word is sounding from the pulpit, and that the altar is void and bare. We see this when parents try to bring their children back to church after years of neglecting it, only to find that there's no one left to baptize their children or to confirm them. Why? Because God saw through all of those things, saw through all of their excuses, and took away their invitation and gave it to someone else who knew they needed it. God grew tired of having his grace, his love, his mercy, his salvation being despised and detested. He grew tired of having his word and his blood treated like the plague, like a filthy rag, like an annoying gnat in the ear. When God does take his word away, don't get angry and don't be surprised because he's done nothing wrong. When he takes his word away, he's only taking away the invitation from those that didn't really want it. Believe it or not, Dr. Luther, our dear brother Martin, exhorted his own congregation and all Christians to come to church even 500 years ago. And he compared the word of God to a rain cloud. He says, God's word and grace is like a passing downpour which doesn't return to the place that it once was. It's been with the Jews, but what's lost is lost. They have nothing. Paul brought the gospel to Greece, but what's lost is lost. And what they now have is the Turk. Rome and Latin-speaking regions have also had it, but what's lost is lost, and they now have the Pope. You Germans dare not think that you will have it forever, for the ingratitude and disdain will not let it remain. Therefore, take hold and hang on to it tightly while you're able to grab and to hold. Lazy hands are bound to have a hard year. Remember what Jesus taught us in the text this morning. God promises to take the gospel away from those who don't want it. He promises to take the gospel, his forgiveness, his grace and mercy away from the hands of the proud, the stubborn, the complacent, the self-righteous, the too busy, the apathetic, the indifferent, the excuse-making, and the smug. And he promises to place that gospel in the hands of the humble, the lowly, and the poor, the maimed, the weak, and the sick, the dying, the repentant, those who mourn their sin, who lament their complacency, who confess their poverty, who say that they experience misery and their sin. Those who excuse themselves from God's banquet of forgiveness here in time will be excused from that banquet of eternal life. Those who excuse themselves from his gracious invitation will find another one in their place. When you excuse yourself from God's word today, don't expect it to be there for you tomorrow. You don't know when your next excuse will be your last. And so what are we to do? And what do we do now? Now that you find yourself lowly, downcast and maimed by this law, you hear the gracious invitation of Christ to you once again today. This very moment in these very words. 
and you hold on to this invitation right now with all of your might, making no excuse. Right now you hear this invitation once again cut through all of the noise and all of your excuses. As you remember all the years you've heaped excuse upon excuse, failure upon failure, broken promise upon broken promise upon one another, trying to do better the next time. As you stand in the shadow of your enormous debt to God, you lift your eyes up and see that Christ made no excuse to take his blessed cross and drive it into the apex, into the peak of that mountain of idolatry, of shame and sin. See how Christ joyfully climbs upon that cross with nail and hand and foot. How he rips open his side, pouring out every cell of blood in his body to drown every single one of your sins and your excuses, your failures, all of your indifference and apathy he covers with his blood. And see how every ounce of idolatry and guilt is covered in a flood of his blood. See how his grace and mercy completely covers each and every one of your sins beneath an avalanche of his grace and mercy. Come and see that no matter how many times or how many years you've spent rejecting his mercy and turning down his gracious invitation, Christ has come to you again today with an invitation for you, etched in his flesh by the scars in his back, when you're humbled by hearing the enormity of your sin and how grave a sin it is to make an excuse to hear God's word, as you lament the immense magnitude of your idolatrous heart, as you find nothing but poverty and misery when you look into the mirror of God's law, Christ comes to you to fill your eyes with hope. And he comes to hand you the invitation of his eternal feast written in the ink of his most precious blood. Today he invites you to feast on the bread of life that was broken for you on Good Friday. He invites you to drink from the cup that overflows with his righteousness. He invites you to come and cast all of your worries and cares and anxieties and idolatry, which have no claim over you. Today you learn that no field, no work, no life, no treasure on earth can even come close to being compared to the table of your God, the feast of his word he prepared for you here today. No money, no pleasure compares with the joy of Christ's forgiveness. And even as the entire world and everyone around you lets go of the gospel, you hold on to it tightly. You hold on to that invitation. So in closing, we consider this. When our American churches become like the great cathedrals of Europe, when they become nothing but dusty museums where no one else gathers to hear the word of God anymore, when the rain shower of the gospel leaves our land and moves to those who actually desire it, as is already happening, keep, keep clinging to that invitation and don't despair. When the day comes that you have to drive an hour to church to hear the gospel instead of five minutes, be at peace and know that no matter how much work it takes, you are blessed beyond measure. Because no matter how far you have to go, you have been invited into the presence of the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who laid down his life for you. You've been invited to the presence of the king. And if the day comes when you have to drive three hours to find a faithful congregation, 
Do it joyfully knowing that within those walls you will find the love of a God who has not abandoned you, even when everyone else around you has abandoned him. And if the day comes when you have to sell your field, your property and possessions, all that you have, your house and your car, and pack up everything you have and head to, a, to another part of the world where, just to find a place where the gospel is being preached, then so be it. Make no excuse, but let your mouth be filled with praise that God is so gracious and kind to us that he hasn't completely removed his word from this earth. Rejoice that he has caused it to be preached somewhere in this fallen world. And as you consider these things, wipe away your tears because God has had mercy on you and has given you a place in this world to enter into his banquet, to be in his presence, to take part in his righteousness. Remember that Christ has invited you to his banquet here today, not to ask you a favor, not to give you a chore or something else to do during your week. When God invites you to his feast, he invites you not to give a thing to him, but to take from him to partake of everything he has to give you, to take the blood he spilled, to breathe the breath he breathed, to live the life he lived and died and lived again for you. Cling to the word while you have it, while he gives it to you today in this moment. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.